Pastor Xavier Reese on the practice of faith. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, if you're going to pray about something and you see something you want and you think that God wants you to have it, don't say, okay, Lord, if you really want me to have it, let the phone ring in the next hour. All right? No, 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 okay? Let's make it real difficult for God to really, if you want to put a fleece, I people ask about fleas. Well, if you do, make sure it's so off the wall that there's no way it can happen by accident. You understand? All right? Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. In the book of Hebrews, we read this familiar verse, And without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Now, what happens when we have to put this kind of faith into practice? Well, that's the kind of faith we get to witness as Pastor Xavier continues his study on the father of faith, Abraham. Genesis 24, and the message is entitled, God Chose the Bride of Isaac. Now, Abram has, is but a start. God has just started his program through Abraham. The promise has been given to him, but now he's got to pass it on to his son, Isaac. But there's a problem. Isaac doesn't have a wife. And so Abraham sends his servant to seek out a bride for Isaac and is revealed to us in this chapter through three movements. There are many different acts within it, but it breaks up in these three movements. Let me um, give them to you. And for the sake of the length of the chapter, we're not going to read it. But as we move through section by section, you'll be able to follow along. You'll get the understanding, and we'll see the lessons that God has for us here. The first movement we see is in verse 1 to 9, the request of Abraham from his servant to seek the bride of Isaac. Then from 10 to 61, we have the request of the servant for God to pick out the bride of Isaac. Why servant? To pick out the bride of Isaac. And then the last movement is a short one, verse 62 to 67. The request was fulfilled by returning with the bride of Isaac. We'll begin here with the first movement. The request of Abraham from his servant to seek the bride of Isaac, or for Isaac, either way. Now, notice in verse 1, the condition of Abraham is given to us. Abraham was old. He was not a young man anymore, as we've been following him along. And he was well advanced in years, it says. In other words, he was towards the end of his life, not at the very end, but towards the end. So, he's up there. Now, Notice the faithfulness of God towards Abraham is stated also in verse 1. The Lord Yahweh had blessed Abraham and Yahweh, the one who had called him and made a covenant with him as we've seen. Um, the covenant of circumcision that he gave them in the earlier chapters and promising the son. Faithfulness of God uh, towards Abraham is a major theme throughout this chapter. You see it in verse 12, 14, 27, and 49. It's ongoing. God's faithfulness over and over and over again. The measure of the blessing is simply stated as in all things. Now, Abraham had been blessed with material wealth as we've tracked his life up to this point. He had been blessed also as he went to Egypt. They were, he was given much material things plus male and female servants. 
And certainly he had his own higher servants that he went to rescue Lot, 318, I believe, if I remember correctly, a good handful of people. And um, Abram had been blessed with the promised son, Isaac. In fact, the word bless is a key word for the chapter. If you're walking with God, you are blessed. <laughs> if you're born again, you are blessed. <laughs> if your sins have been forgiven, you are blessed. God is good. Notice the commission of the servant is by an oath in verse 2 through 4. The customary practice is described. Abraham chose one of his servants, the one chosen as his oldest servant in the house. A servant didn't own anything, but he was a steward of everything and had to give accounts to his master, as you know. The one who ruled over all that he had. And the servant, notice, is not identified by name, but he is mentioned 13 times by the phrase servant, nine times by the phrase the man, and Laban calls him blessed of Yahweh in verse 31. He's a key person, but he's, not, he's almost transparent, and there's a purpose for that, okay? He's in the backdrop, though he's the instrument to get the bride. Many believe that this could be Eliezer of Damascus that was mentioned in chapter 15, verse 2, when Abraham was calling the guy he didn't have an heir and that he would be his heir. Um, I tend to agree. I think it is because his name means comfort. And uh, as we'll see, he, he's typifying something here and someone here as we go through here, and we'll see the typology in the chapter. Now, Abraham chose to put him under an oath and he was very courteous and polite. He says, please to him, though he's a servant. And he was asked to do something to put his hand under his thigh. Put your hand under my thigh. And the thigh seems to infer the genital area uh, of procreation. And again, the connection is with the, with the promised son, the ongoing continuity of the seed of Abraham. And this was customary the thing. I don't believe it's literal, but that it's used as a euphemism. And the hand was put on the thigh, not on, on the groin area itself. Uh, people go different directions. I think it was just the oath, again, symbolic, the connection, even a circumcision. And God was the one that was behind this whole thing to multiply, to ensure the seed and all that. Now, the primary promise of an oath is stated here. He says, the person by whom the servant was swearing was God. Notice, the covenant God, Yahweh. I will make you swear by the Lord Yahweh. This was the authority by which they did everything in the house of Abraham. There was a time in our nation where we swore by the Bible. So help you God. That isn't the case anymore in court. So you can't be sure of any justice or any truth because truth is relative today. It's kind of ironic to me how they can even believe anybody could, could lie and think that they're lying when there's absolutely no, no truth today. It's a wacky way to, to work our jurisprudence system. Um, but also the creator God, the God of heaven and the God of earth. The one who created everything, the one who created us, and the one they were in covenant with. This was the old that they were pledging to. Now, notice the particular point was articulated. Not to seek a wife from the pagans for Isaac in verse 3 there. That you will not take a wife of my son from the daughters of the Canaanites. Not from the land that he lived in among whom I dwell. So Abraham was very, very sure about this. He had been very obedient to this. And, and he certainly wanted to pass this on to his son. 
The extraordinary location is named for as the place, but you should go to my country, Ur the Chaldee, where God had called him out of, my people, my family. And the purpose? To take a wife for my son. Very specific, very clear. So the communication here between Abraham and the servant is very clear, very precise, very specific. There's no mixing up here. There's no confusion. It's always good to be able to communicate clearly. Many of the problems that come into our lives is because we don't communicate in specifics. Often it's just generalities, and then people think that you meant this, and they didn't. In verse 5 and 6, we have the caution of the servant in view of the commission. The potential problem is mentioned by the servant in verse 5, in view of the reluctance of the woman to come. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. In view of the request to take Isaac. Suppose she says, hey, well, I want to see the guy. I mean, I don't know. He looks like Frankenstein or something. Let me look what he looks like. He says, must I take your son back to the land from which he came or you came? The absolute denial is stated by Abraham in verse 6. And the prohibition was very, very clear. Listen to him. Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. You don't go back. That is a warning to you, to me, always. You don't go back. You go forward. Too many people go back too often. Notice in verse 7 through 9, the complete trust of Abraham and the faithfulness of God is declared because the servant's a little hesitant here. And first of all, his confidence is regarding the past. Listen to him in verse 7. The Lord Yahweh God of heaven who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family and who spoke to me and swore to me saying to your descendants, I give this land. So how he encouraged himself in the present situation by looking to his past. And you should be able to look to your past. I should be able to look to my past and be encouraged on what all that God has done, how he's directed, how he's guided, his faithfulness as you're walking with him. But then also regarding the present to the future. In verse 7 the end there he says, He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife for my son from there. The confidence we have for now and the future is because of our past relationship and present relationship with God. And I know he's going to be faithful. I know he's going to direct. I know he's going to guide. I know he's going to be right on time. Because that has been his character all of my life that I've walked with him. The reference here to the angel could be to the angel of the Lord Jesus Christ as we've seen before. Though he's not called the angel of the Lord, this could be a reference to him. Now, but also notice regarding the escape clause here. And if the woman will not, uh, is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from the oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant is not under pressure. He's under responsibility and accountability, but no pressure. Whenever you feel pressure to make a decision in Christ, don't make it. There's no pressure. In any decision in life, when there's pressure, back off from it. Because you'll regret it if you make a decision under pressure. Verse 9, the complete commitment to the commission was embraced by the servant. He submitted to the customary oath, so the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and he verbalized the oath and swore to him concerning this matter. You know, one of the key elements that is uh, given to us in the New Testament as well as the old for a believer is a servant. One who obeys, one who hears, one who just submits himself to his master. And this is exactly how we are to live our lives. We often hear, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. 
And that should be the character of our life over and over and over again. The older a person gets, the more they are thinking about the future of their children. You'll find this as you get older. There is a constant instruction as you're raising your children that they um, not date non-believers and compromise their faith. And it's a warfare, and it's a good warfare, and it should be fought on every angle and every side. It's well worth it. There is the encouragement to the children constantly and should be that if they marry, they marry a believer, not a non-believer, lest they be unequally yoked, as 2 Corinthians 6.14 tells us. Light and darkness have no place together, no communion. And that's always a snare in youth. And even sometimes when children get married and if there is a falling out of divorce or whatever it may be, the reminder to them once again is they marry in the Lord, a Christian only, lest they repeat their own mistake. 1 Corinthians 7, 39. And somehow people think that they are the exception to the rule, that they have a, a, a special clause or something, and, and there is no exceptions in the Lord. And the church is, um, is filled with tragic failures because decisions have been made through disobedience and through compromise and through looking at the here and now rather than down the road later, and, and then it's too late. Uh, the way it works is this way. If you hang out with worldly people, all the time being single, you're probably going to marry a, a non-believer. Because you don't marry someone you don't hang out with. I mean, you're going to hook up with whoever you hang out with. It's real simple. If you're around Christians, you'll still have to be discreet because there's a lot of carnality in the church today. So you want to make sure you look, make sure that young lady is a Christian and that young man. That takes time. That takes prayer. That takes consistency. That takes commitment. Paul the Apostle put it this way in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 6. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, speaking about sexually, because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarn you and testify. So there's always a warning, and there are always those who want to live on the edge, who want to play the, uh, the game. And there's a lot of games that get played in church. Don't think that everybody comes to church has a halo. Some of them, the only thing holding it up is their horns. But um, uh, that's just the way it is. Marriage is a free will and for life. You look at that guy in the mug and say, I do. And he looks at your face and says, I do. And there's no money back, <laughs> even with a receipt. All right? Listen to a Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 7. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Because you don't buy love. You don't compel. You don't force someone to love you. It's a mutual agreement. It's a mutual understanding. It's a mutual giving of one another in the Lord. The reason you seek marriage with a believer is to continue the heritage of the Lord. Listen to Psalm 127.3. Behold, children are heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. 
In fact, Malachi, when he, he's writing to Israel who had compromised marriages and children, he says, but did he not make you one, speaking about marriage, having a remnant of the spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let no one deal treasure with the wife of his youth. Why does God want you to marry Christians? Because he wants godly little beggars. Godly kids, under your authority, under your example, under your prayers. That's what he wants. They're the church of tomorrow. Isaac has no bride. The promise has to be passed on. The request of Abraham from his servant to seek the bride of Isaac was very clear. Now, he moves to the second movement, the request of the servant for God to pick out the bride of Isaac. This is great. This is the longest. It goes from verse 10 all the way down to 61. We get the departure and arrival in Mesopotamia, and it happens real fast, no great detail, between verses 10 and 28. The departure in particular was with great preparation. In verse 10, the servant took 10 of his master's camels, an impressive mark of wealth for that day. The remaining things are indicated simply by the statement for all his master's goods were in his hand. He went loaded. And the departure was an urgency. He says, and he rose and he went to Mesopotamia to the city of Naor. Okay? Now, Mesopotamia means the area of the two rivers, Tigris and Euphrates. The area where Abraham came out of. Abraham received news, remember, about Naor's children and his grandchildren after the sacrifice of Isaac, and God gave the ransom, the ram, in Genesis 22, 22, 24. He had gotten news about that. Rebekah was the granddaughter, the only granddaughter mentioned. Here she is. She's coming on the scene now, but she's been introduced already. In verse 11, the arrival was with great anticipation. Notice, at a place of resting. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city of the well of waters. And, and through the Bible, you always see water and wells and God doing a lot of things in that. The women of Samaria there in John 4 and, and many times in the well. The word of God is like water cleansing us, quenching our thirst. The trip is about 500 miles long, long journey. It wasn't an easy journey. He comes tired. At the close of the day, he says, evening time. At the perfect time, the time when women go out to draw water. What a coincidence? No, right on time. The prayer of the servant was to Yahweh. Notice that, verse 12 through 16. In verse 12, he prayed on behalf of his master Abraham. Not for himself. He's the instrument. He's silent. But his master. He said, O Lord Yahweh, God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. The word to give has the idea of God's providence. The same thing as Ruth in chapter 2, verse 3. It so happens she went to the fields of Boaz. No happenstance if you're a Christian. Not if you're walking with God. The word kindness is hesed, loving kindness. It's a covenant word. God was in covenant with Abraham, Abraham with God. Notice in verse 13 and 14, he prayed with the specific conditions. First, regarding the place. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw the water. In verse 14, regarding the young woman. Now, let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink, and she say, drink, and I will also give your camels drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, 
I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Very specific. Now, listen, ladies, gentlemen. If you're going to pray about something and you see something you want and you think that God wants you to have it, don't say, okay, Lord, if you really want me to have it, let the phone ring in the next hour. All right? No, no, no. Okay? Let's make it real difficult for God to really, if you want to put a fleece, people ask me about fleas. Well, if you do, make sure it's so off the wall that there's no way it can happen by accident. You understand? All right? This guy ain't playing games. This guy wants to know God's will. He's representing Abraham. This is the bride of Isaac. Verse 15 through 21, the answer to the prayer of the servant was answered. Verse 16, evident of divine providence. She was of Abraham's family. And it happened before he had finished speaking. Before he had finished speaking. That behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Naor, Abraham's brother, came out with his pitcher on her shoulder. She was not married. It says, now the young woman was very beautiful. And behold, a virgin, and no one had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. And the word for virgin, there's Bethula, which means a virgin, not betrothed, or espoused. She belongs to no one. She's available. There'll be a different word used at the end. Now notice also, not only evident of divine providence, but evident of answered prayer. 17 through 21. In 17, the servant ran to meet her and said, please, let me drink a little water for your pitcher. Here's the test. He prayed. And then in verse 18 to 20, the young woman met the criteria of his prayer. She said, drink, my Lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down um, to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving them drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. And then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to the draw water and draw for all the camels. The camel drinks about 20 to 25 gallons at this point. Their tanks were, were low. So you're talking about 200 to 250 gallons. <laughs> that, now that's what I call praying to God and really wanting an answer from God. You understand? Hmm. Verse 21, the servant watched eagerly and attentively is the meaning there when it says, and the man wondered at her. And well, amazing, with a, you can see his eyes bugging out as one thing is clicking after another. And he's going, and he remained silent so as to know whether the Lord Yahweh had made his journey prosperous or not. Always looking to see, Lord, are you in this? Are you not in it? If not, I back off. So important, so important. The confirmation of the chosen woman is given to us in verse 22 through 25. Look at 22. The servant gave her a gift. So it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took golden nose ring. Um, so ladies, you're in style today if you have a nose ring. Uh, <laughs> weighed half a shekel, two braces for a wrist, weighing 10 shekels of gold. And the servant asked, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please. Is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? And the woman responded to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel. Boy, this guy went postal. Milcah's son, whose son bore to Naor. Everything's clicking. The woman was hospitable. Moreover, she said to him, We have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. What does this man do? 
Listen, this is what he does. He adores God. The adoration of God by the servant is given to us in verse 26 to 28. In 26, the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord Yahweh. <laughs> That's what you do when God leads you and guides you in your marriage, in your business, in the discipline of your children, the guidance and wisdom of your children, and all the things that you do. You worship Him. Pastor Xavier Reese and the secret to a successful life. Now you can pick up a copy of today's lesson, God Chose the Bride of Isaac. It's available on CD for only $4. Now don't forget to pass these Bible studies on to your friends and loved ones. The title to ask for once again is God Chose the Bride of Isaac. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you contact us. What makes a marriage successful? Learn about this and more when you join Pastor Xavier Reese right here on the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California, www.calvarychapelpasadena.com.